Well, good morning. I don't know what kind of a year 2017 has been for you, but my guess is there's a wide variety of experiences in the room. There are probably just as many of you sitting here this morning with the sense of, I can't wait for this year to be over, as there are those of you in the room going, this has been one of the best years ever. Regardless of our sentiment, in just a little over 13 hours, we're going to flip over to a brand new year. And I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions, never have been, primarily because I don't keep them, but I do tend to get reflective as one year winds down and a new one begins. And I begin to think about how I want the next year to be different. And more importantly, I start to think about how do I need to be different so the year is different. I think one big change that we could all make heading into 2018, a change that would have the biggest impact on the coming year, is learning how to do relationships better. Specifically, learning how to do conflict in relationships well. Because I think if 2017 has taught us anything, it's taught us that our world is filled with conflict. If you read the paper, if you read it on your tablet, if you watch the news on TV, you can't escape that fact. Conflict is everywhere. There's wars, there's threats of war, there's political infighting, arguments, prejudice, racism, violence, tribalism, terrorism. The list could go on and on. It seems like we've come to the place where our civilization has forgotten how to be civil. Conflict creeps into our lives. It creeps into our personal world as well. There's a good chance as you sit here this morning that you're in conflict with somebody. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a a co-worker. It could be that all this forced proximity over the holidays has resurfaced some family conflict for you. That's a great gift, isn't it? So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the bad blood that can come in relationships? And how do we address the tension or the ill will or even the hatred that can come in some of those relationships? The Bible says pretty clearly, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's a pretty tall order. Live at peace with everyone. Maybe that that's the single toughest area for us to follow Jesus. We all have to fight the natural tendency when there's bad blood in relationships to choose a path that leads to peace. Conflict is a really, really weird facet of our relationships to deal with. Conflict comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not really predictable. It can be a small disagreement that you have with someone and it's over quickly. It's resolved easily. Or it can be a major dispute that drags on for years and eventually drags you into court. Conflict can begin as this explosive public confrontation or it can be quiet. Behind the scenes, you discover that someone's been gossiping about you or You're holding resentment towards someone, or you may not even know that there's a conflict between you and somebody else until you check your Facebook page. 
That's always a great way to find out, right? Much of the conflict I think that we experience in life comes for a very simple reason. God has created us with natural differences. Every single one of us is unique. One of my friends said, but some people are more unique than others. And that leads to conflict sometimes. We have varying opinions, convictions, desires, and priorities in life. And when we handle those differences well, they can stimulate dialogue, creativity. They can lead to change. They make life interesting. And most of the differences we have with other people really aren't about what's right or wrong in life. It's simply about personal preferences. And when those differences, when those preferences are handled poorly, conflict erupts. I think another reason we get in conflict in relationships is because communication breaks down so easily, doesn't it? I mean, it's a lot of work, at least for me, to talk and listen well and do them in the right proportion. And I get to the place where I think I'm actually good at this, and then I test it out in a tense situation and find out I'm not as good as I thought I was. You know, I just have learned to call those my growth edges in life. And they show up. Conflicts happen when we think that our words, when we think that our intentions are crystal clear, or we think we've listened And we understand correctly, and we go ahead and respond based on a misunderstanding. And a breakdown in communication can quickly lead us into conflict with that person. Standing in that moment, when you realize you've misunderstood, when you realize something is going wrong, when you realize there's tension because of differences, you have a choice to make as you stand on the edge of that conflict. Am I going to throw gas or water on this fire I've just lit. And that's the very bottom line of it. Conflict is coming, and we have to choose when it comes how we are going to respond. There are lots of options open to us. One of those is escape, and frankly, it's one we choose a lot, just to get away from the conflict, get away from the person, be done with them, to turn and run. And there is a place for escape. You know, if a, if a conflict gets abusive, if you're in danger, if you see the conflict escalating to a place where there's going to be irreparable damage done to the relationship, it's good to press pause. It's good to take a time out, step back, and reflect. It's also another option to us to attack the other person, and we exercise that sometimes as well. We gear up. We start planning our strategy. Sometimes the conflict is so severe, we set out to either verbally or through some other action, destroy the person completely at all cost. And while we can choose those options, and sometimes do, I think Jesus calls us to a very different way of life, a different way in relationships, a different way to handle conflict if we want to follow him if we're willing to do the work. So when a conflict comes, I'm just going to be really brief and clear, I hope, this morning. Three things that God asks us to do. The first thing that he asks us to do is to go quickly to the other person. That is where most of us get stuck. Just in that whole idea of, I need to go to that person. 
Because for most of us, it's not our normal human response. For whatever reason, we want to pull back. And some of us drift towards brooding over the conflict. Some of us work really hard to try to figure out what happened. Why in the world did they do that to me? Why in the world did they choose those actions? And so we start to talk to family and we talk to friends. Sometimes in the name of getting input, sometimes it's really just we're trying to get people to take sides with us in the conflict. And all the while, while we're doing this behind-the-scenes stuff, not talking to the other person, the conflict is just escalating. It's getting white hot. Jesus taught on two separate occasions how we handle conflict in our relationships, how we should. In Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, he makes it really clear. Here's the first of those from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. It's really clear. This is a situation where you've messed up. You've wronged someone. You've hurt someone. And so you need to go and do your best to make it right. Jesus says, do it as soon as you realize it. Even if you're in the middle of a worship service. I don't expect any of you right now are just going to stand up and walk out and do this. But that's what God is saying here. If you realize it and you're in church, get up and leave. Go make the conflict right. Grab the person from the other side of the room. Go out in the lobby and have a conversation, a quiet conversation, and resolve this. Because our relational integrity matters more to God than any act of worship. That makes sense. That fits within our moral construct, what we understand Jesus to be teaching. If I'm wrong, I'm supposed to come to you and begin the process of reconciliation. I initiate the first step. But then in Matthew 18, Jesus says this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Well, this time I'm not in the wrong. You're in the wrong. This time I didn't hurt feelings, you hurt feelings. You offended me. And if that's true, Jesus says, I need to go to you. Go privately. Don't postpone the, con- don't post the conflict on social media. Don't invite your friends to pray for this horrible person who's offended you. Keep the circle of people who know about the conflict as small as possible. Go privately and talk to them and if the other person listens to you jesus says we've won that person back now jesus goes on to define from there we'll talk about that next week what we do if that doesn't work because we've lived long enough we know that sometimes talking to the other person doesn't immediately solve the conflict we'll deal with that next week you know sometimes you can't make peace in a relationship and so you have to figure out how to find peace in spite of what's going on in that relationship. The first time I really understood these two passages together in the book of Matthew, I was in shock. I just wanted to scream out, this isn't fair. This can't be the way it's supposed to be. God puts the responsibility squarely on me, whether I've offended you or you've offended me. I'm supposed to come to you and start a process to make it right. Even if I believe I've done nothing wrong, even if it's completely your fault, which it rarely is. That goes against our natural inclination, but our inclinations are wrong. They're not helpful. 
We follow our natural inclinations and they generally lead us to a deeper level of conflict instead of resolution. And so Jesus commands his followers, regardless of who owns the most blame, I have to go and address the issues face-to-face with that person. I need to buy him a cup of coffee. I need to buy them lunch. I need to initiate some setting where we can have an honest conversation about this. Now, it feels natural today when things come up to quickly fire off a text or an email to somebody. Some of you are still very old school, and you'll actually pick up the phone and call somebody. And as natural as those options might feel, they're not a great way to resolve conflict. We need a face-to-face conversation. Diffusing conflict requires two-way conversation. I need to see your facial expressions. I need to see your body language. I need to hear the actual tone of voice with which you said the words. I need to ask clarifying questions to understand the situation. And that doesn't happen in a text or an email. It doesn't even happen on a phone call. So I have to go. I have to go quickly. I have to go privately and sit down and talk with you. Now, just a pause on the going quickly part. It doesn't mean that there's no space for you to stop and think and pray. To understand what caused the conflict and begin to pray that God would show you what's your part in it, no matter how small it is. To gather your thoughts. To pray that their heart will be softened, yours as well, as you hear the words. To pray about the words you should and shouldn't say as you talk. What I would caution you to do is not drag this out. Not label yourself as a processor, and so you need weeks and months to think about it. Nothing good comes from waiting too long to resolve a conflict. So go directly to them. You don't involve other people yet. You just go to them. Quickly, privately, and maybe the hardest of all, go humbly. Peter writes, or I'm sorry, Paul writes in Colossians, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I've read that passage multiple times this week, and every time I read it, I wonder how would the conflicts we experienced this year be different if we had lived by those simple verses. Going humbly has a lot of implications for us. It means that when we actually sit down, I'll start the conversation with a confession, not accusations. I don't list out the ways I've been hurt in this relationship. I I begin by owning whatever I need to own from this, even if it's just simply I could have responded differently. Going humbly means we seek to understand before we seek to be understood. We listen carefully for the other person's pain, for their perspective. We lean in. We're present. We pay attention to our feelings inside of us, and we do our best to not get angry or defensive. 
And after we've listened and after we've understood, we speak the truth in love. Now that's really a continuum in our communication skills, from all truth to all love. And every one of us in the room has a tendency. You know, when I'm pressed, I tend to be truthful, and the love drops out of my communication skills. Where are you? Because truthfully, the balance of truth and love in this conversation makes the difference between you having a conversation and this turning into a confrontation. It's not the easiest road in life to live out Jesus' teaching on conflict. That we have to go quickly, that we have to go privately, that we have to go humbly. That we have to do everything we can to live at peace with everyone. It's not easy, but it can be done. This week I came across a story where it was done incredibly well. The story took place in Durham, North Carolina. And it's in the 1970s. And Durham had struggled for more than 20 years to implement the Supreme Court's order to desegregate their schools. And in the 70s, the city of Durham appointed two very different people to lead community meetings and come up with a plan to finally end the segregation in the school system, to break down the animosity between races in Durham. And the animosity was strong. It was generations strong. And so they chose two very different people to co-lead this work. One of those appointees was Ann Atwater. She was a civil rights activist. She helped organize poor African Americans and gave them a voice. She set up neighborhood councils, organized marches. She stood up to politicians. And she even one day stood up to a group of Klansmen who stood on the lawn outside of her apartment in their white robes and hoods. The other appointee was a man by the name of C.P. Ellis, who happened to be, his title, which I don't necessarily understand, was the Grand Cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan in North Carolina. He was the leader in their state. You could not have picked two more different people to lead this team. And their story is chronicled in a book called The Best of Enemies. In 2013, reflecting on that period in her life, Anne Atwater said, you know, I almost killed Ellis a couple years before the meeting. And she wasn't like using a figure of speech. She was in a rally in Durham. He was speaking, and he was incredibly racist. And she stood in the crowd. She reached in her purse and brought a knife that she had brought to the rally and swore that at the first chance she got, she was going to pull his head back and slit his throat. It's safe to say they had some conflict, right? It's a tense relationship. He was loud. He was offensive. He was irritating. And she had a plan to resolve the conflict. It wasn't a good one. And she says, I hated him just as hard as he hated me. We showed that towards each other. Every morning when CP would show up at these community meetings, he would open the trunk of his car and show the machine gun he had brought to the meetings to all the city council members. And Ann said, as I walked by him, I had my white Bible in hand, clutched 
to my chest. And I always said that if those men said something to me, I was going to knock the hell out of them with my Bible. Tough woman, right? How in the world do you resolve a conflict that runs that deep? In just 10 days, they said, in 10 days of sitting at the same table, talking to each other, an amazing transformation took place. CP and Anne began to realize how much they had in common, how they were both actually working towards the same goals, to serve the poor in Durham, whether black or white. In 10 days, the image they had of each other began to fall away. It was broken down. The blinders came off. The animosity fell away. All because they talked. The simple act of hearing and being, he- being heard changed both of them forever. At the end of those 10 days of meetings, CP stand up, stood up in front of the crowd tore up his membership card to the KKK, denounced the organization, and invested the rest of his life as an activist for the poor, all the poor, in Durham. Those 10 days changed their heart, changed their relationship. CP and Ann actually went beyond just leading the team together. They became close friends. They watched over each other well into their 70s and 80s. They got close enough that CP asked Anne as he was dying if she would do the eulogy at his funeral. More than 40 years after those meetings, Anne Atwater in an interview said, you know, it seems like such an unlikely transformation. When you look back at it, it's just unlikely. But if I look at it through my Bible, through God's word, God had a plan for both of us. It's just a strange thing, but it really happened. And the funny part about it is we stayed friends all these years. I think one of the best decisions you and I can make in the new year is to take another look at deep, lingering conflict in our lives. To see that conflict, to see that other person through God's eyes through the lens of his word that he's given to us. To know that God has a plan for that person and for me, for both of us. And to know that we stand with a choice that we have to make. To know that we can do things that will inflame the conflict or lead to peace. And sometimes, pursuing peace can be just as simple as a face to face conversation. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to do everything we can to live at peace with everyone, I think that's when we begin to discover that what we thought could never be forgiven can. And relationships that we thought were lost can actually be rebuilt.